General Manager Justin Zanuck will offer his thoughts on Mike Conley's start, give a state of the team so far for the Utah Jazz. On episode 11 of Round Ball Roundup, J.P. Chunga, utahjazz.com, Aaron Falk and I, we caught up with the general manager after the Be Strong Lunch Forum at Olympus High School, and the GM dished on how he rose through the front office ranks from being a player agent and his entire life story, which involves a little bit of the Troy Bolton high school musical part. But first, Mike Conley, he spoke to NBA insider over at The Athletic, Sam Amick, about his start so far. And this is something that he's discussed throughout his entire time here in Utah, how it's been a little bit of an adjustment. You know, there was that point in that ESPN story that Tim McMahon did where Mike Conley, he goes up, says five, and Donovan Mitchell says, we don't have a play like that. We don't have that type of language. It, it lends to this theory that I have about quarterbacks out in football, college football, NFL football. Learning a new offense is like learning a new language. Offensive coordinators install their offense, and they bring different verbiage. They bring different things that you have to be aware of that maybe it was something else in a different system. That language and understanding and getting a fluency in a language, it takes some time. When you're in high school Spanish, sometimes the understanding point comes quicker than the speaking portion. And even when you're trying to understand, it takes a little bit of that split second for you to understand and comprehend what's happening out there. Conley talked about this split second with Sam Amick, and here's a quote that stood out. Now to a new segment, reading Valencia or something like that. And it'll take me a second, like, oh, and it's a split second or whatever, but then you're like, okay, that's a dribble handoff, stuff that I know, but the terms are just different. He's trying to understand the new language, and after spending 12 years in one place, you know so much about the language. You understand and have a fluency in a system. You have systems built around you. Here he's coming into a situation that is perfectly fit towards him, but it wasn't built with his bricks. He didn't lay the foundation, and now he's trying to establish and understand everything about that. It's gaining a fluency for the language. Continue with Amic. Again, you can find this story on The Athletic. You know the Grizzlies language. You're a fan favorite. It's all those things that are different, says Amick. Conley continues, all those things. I'm trying to redo it. People don't know me. My whole thing was I'm going to come in and I'm going to try and show people who I am. And that's me playing hard, playing defense, or whatever it is, but I wasn't doing that. So for me, I felt like I was failing the team, failing the city, and I kind of held that burden. But talking to the team and the players, everyone was like, man, you're worrying about it too much. Carrying a burden you don't need to be carrying. You can already notice how that team is starting to gel, how they already rib each other on social media, whether it's Conley showing a Joe Ingles meme this week on Instagram. He's breaking through in this team. It's just about getting comfortable to the point where he is contributing on the floor as much as he holds that standard to do. Philadelphia, though, was a really impressive outing for him just in terms of entirety and totality of the game. All 48 minutes, all 34 that he played, he ended up with 15 points on the night, a couple of assists, and six rebounds. He initiates the offense and started getting them into sets in a very efficient manner. And that's 
That's what he needs to do and what he needs to provide. And looking at that Philly game, 106-104, Donovan Mitchell and his mid-range. 24 points, 21 through three quarters, at least right now as we speak. Donovan is playing at a really good clip and playing at a good level, and it's because of how how impressive he is in the mid-range. Everything is up. It's an eight-game sample size, so it's not necessarily indicative of what he might do during the entire year. But right now, shooting 10 to 16 feet, he's shooting 58%. That's up 10 percentage points from last year. In the 16 feet to the three-point range, 51%. That's 11 points higher than he was at last year. Old heads say, mid-range is gone. Okay, Boomer. Donovan Mitchell's bringing it back, and he's showing parts of his game that haven't been there last year. This is a part of getting more efficient for Donovan in year three, getting to the point where he's harder to defend. Donovan was sensational against Philly. Three straight mid-range buckets to open up the game. Boyan Bogdanovich also still dependable. He hit a huge three down the stretch to keep the margin from going. I'm impressed by how he continues to be there day in, day out. 20 points on the night. Boyan's everything as advertised that the Jazz thought they were getting out of the guy coming out of Indiana. The short-term item that we were all paying attention to was rebounding, and the Jazz ended up on the front end of the rebounding mark, 50-42, to 42, even grabbed 14 offensive rebounds themselves. That's not only just the coaching point of Quinn Snyder saying and going in to the locker room and saying, we got a rebound, but also the focus of it being the emphasis of things. Short-term problem fixed in at least one sample size of a game. Another opportunity tonight, and that's where we go to as Jazz take on the Bucks. And Giannis, Greek freak, he is playing at an absolute supernova level. If you watch the jump, you know this stat. 200 points, 100 rebounds, 50 assists. Nobody through eight games in the history of keeping statistics in this league has ever done that. Playing at an out-of-this-world level gets the depoy. Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year two times over at the Viv. I want to see what happens. The other thing that we may be able to see is Eric Bledsoe inbounding the basketball without passing it to anyone. One of the stranger plays that you see on NBA Twitter, Bledsoe took the ball from the referee and just walked in. Just walked into the field of play without passing it to anyone. I don't know if that happens in junior jazz with your daughter, your son, but it happened at the NBA level. So they're just like us. Very relatable. Kyle Korver returns to Vivint Smart Home Arena after he's getting about 15 minutes a night over in Milwaukee. On that same token, it was good to see Howell Neto, who got the opportunity because Ben Simmons went down with the Sixers. He was a part of the comeback effort for Philly, something they did against Portland the game before. Neto and Korver each getting opportunities to shine for their respective teams. Be on our team, rate favorably, give us five stars, nice comments, and good reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Help others find the show. Let's get to it. Justin Zanuck on his high school years in the state of the Utah Jazz during the early portions of the season. I went to a very big high school. It was Lee Summit High School. Before they split into, it's now three high schools. I think it was about 3,000 kids. So, And both my parents were high school teachers at my high school. So not only was I the teacher's kid, 
my mom was the choral director, choir teacher, and my stepdad was the band teacher. And then I was in sports all the time, and I was in the academic stuff. So I kind of ran around in all of the circles. I didn't have one specific one. Plus, I just had the threat of my parents walking into any teacher to see how I was doing, so I couldn't really mess around or, you know, I had to be on my P's and Q's. But it was being involved in all aspects of it, I think, really helped give me lots of different experiences in high school. So you brought up some, some interesting things about your journey to, to where you are now as, as the general manager that um, I, I didn't know and, and I'm fascinated <laughs> by. First of all, you started at Northwestern as an opera major? Yes, sir. Yes, I had to audition to get into the School of Music. How like how do you get into opera? Like what at what age? And like and then tell me so, how you get out of opera. So yeah, no problem. So the opera part was not specifically something that I grew up doing. Um, as I said, my mom uh, is now retired, a, a choral director for thirty years. My dad, a choral director for thirty years, and my stepdad, a band director. So. You know, the running joke with my family was that we could all sing before we could talk um, without much choice. But I was pretty good at it. I, I liked performing. Um, for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so really, it, you call it like voice performance, but they didn't have like musical theater degrees. It was opera. It was voice performance with, you know, concentration opera. So... I thought I wanted to sing, uh, at least to be a part of my life, because it had been such a big part of my life um, growing up. And it was a natural way for a school that I really wanted to get into. And because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, I, I chose Northwestern because I knew no matter what I chose, I was going to come out with a, a really good experience and an international school. So I auditioned, and I had voice lessons all the way from sixth grade all the way to through high school and studied, but that lasted about a year and a half in, at Northwestern. Um, I was taking economics classes and engineering classes too. So I, I figured out quickly that it didn't matter what your GPA is or what your voice teacher gave you. You know, if you were going to make a career of that, you know, you graduate and then you go to New York and you audition, right? It doesn't matter what GPA we had or what classes you studied. So for me, I, I knew that that wasn't by going through all of that, though, it made me realize that wasn't sort of what I envisioned for my career of, you know, going up to New York and being a performer, even though I did enjoy being in front of a crowd and performing, and whether it's theater, or music, things like that. During this time, did you have basketball, like sports, somehow yeah, so in, I, in I mind played, as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I played baseball uh, in high school uh, all through, I mean, from age six until uh, senior year. Um, maybe could have played small college baseball if I wanted to kind of make a run at it, but I wasn't very big. Um, I played basketball, recreation. I was a huge sports fan. You know, in Kansas City, you have the Chiefs, you have the Royals. Uh, up until I was 10, you had the Kansas City Kings, and then they moved to Sacramento. So sports had always been a, a big part of my life, athletics. So tennis, golf, swimming, uh, all of them. So it, it's sort of like you have lots of different interests. And, you know, my high school and college career was able to satisfy and explore lots of those different interests, whether it was academics or a subject or music or sports. What were the operas that you listened to? So that's to the thing. is like I, got, I didn't, didn't. No, that's the point. It's like it was a voice performance degree, but 
you know, so you're, you're singing these solos and things, but like I didn't ever, I mean, I, I'd watched way more musical theater. Okay. Right? So Broadway shows, you know, Banner of the Opera, Les Miserables, like that's the stuff that I really loved. You know, sitting in, in a, I've probably been to two operas in my life in yeah. Kansas City. So, but that was the discipline that if you wanted to, you know, train as a, as a singer, then you're classically trained. Well, then way. what are your favorite musicals? Uh, I still love Les Mis, and I just saw uh, Hamilton uh, this summer in Chicago. I took my daughter. It was just me and her. Uh, we went to Chicago for a few days and saw it was incredible. So I, I don't get to see as many as, as I'd like, um, but whenever I'm in New York or Chicago, or, and here in Salt Lake, they have, they have a few that come in, and it's just with the schedule, it's kind of tough. So, but my, my daughter's really taken to it. She, she, she'll end up being a singer on, on whatever level for her. It's something she enjoys, and she's an artist. But uh, it's something that we can do together, and it's fun. In addition to the jazz game, she's a jazz fanatic as well. We're going to collaborate with you on like a, a basketball opera, a basketball musical. Uh, that's Daryl Morey. Daryl and I went to school together. We didn't know each other, but he and I were at Northwestern at the same time. So, you know, I always enjoy his tweets about uh, musical theater. So. Um, and I was, I was really interested to see how you got into um, being a sports agent. There was a youth basketball yes. connection here. Can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, so I was working my way through school. Um, and there was a, a park district, Highland Park Park District. So Highland Park's a pretty well-known suburb of, of Chicago. It's like where Michael Jordan lives and a bunch of the Bears players. And um, their recreation programs are great for kids, and they also paid great for a college kid. So I was up there coaching basketball, eight-year-olds, eight and running a couple um, softball leagues and stuff. So it was a great job for me while I was in school because it wasn't full-time, but I could go in and – make some money and pay some bills and then be around sports. And so my star eight-year-old point guard for my little team was Josh Bartlestein, who ended up walking on at Michigan, but is Mark Bartlestein's son. And so Mark and I struck up a relationship. I guess he thought I had half a brain because I went to a decent school. And so I went my, this is my senior year. I interned for him uh, while I was still in school, 40 hours a week. And then I was scrambling to, you know, sometimes I'd miss class and catch up with teacher's hours, but I wanted to be around it. And then I worked all summer, and then he hired me um, just as an associate, uh, basically six months after I'd been there, after I'd graduated. And then I was there for the, with him for four years. But Mark was able to give me my entree into the business and learn about people and managing people and you know, whether that I did the NFL and the NBA for four years, and it really turned me on to a, a career that I, I really enjoyed. There were a couple other internships that I did throughout this. You know, I, I figured out as an economics major that half my uh, colleagues were investment bankers. I, I did an investment banking internship my sophomore year. That lasted about a month and a half, and I was like, nah, this isn't for me. Um, so trying those different things kind of allowed me to shape my path. When you mentioned that during your talk at Olympus was the fact that some of those kids don't know what they're going to do right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, when, when you were with Mark, did it click that being an agent was going to be a, a path for you? I think there's always an intrigue about it. Um, even when I was in college, you know, I knew as a sports fan, I knew who the prominent agents were, Lee Steinberg, you know, 
Scott Boris, David Falk, Syracuse. to name a few. There, there you go. There's your shout-out, JP. Um, but you don't know the intricacies of it. You're like, oh, it's in sports or whatever. So really working, you know, to your point, working for Mark and uh, learning the business, it was, it was an intriguing business to me because, you know, the negotiation part, the relationship part, um, helping players build careers – and frankly, individual businesses uh, was intriguing to me. Um, the people aspect of it was the part that I really enjoyed most. You mentioned also with, today with, with the kids, like the idea of being a, a generalist in a, in a world of specificity. Um, how does that apply in, in your career now? Like, I mean, are, are you seeing benefits from that background, that varied background as you approach sure. you know, building yeah. an NBA team? I think for, you know, when I talked about the book today, Range by David Epstein, a lot of it has to do with, you know, one, when you're speaking to high school kids, you know, it's okay to not know, but just because you don't know that you should try a lot of different things. But the most important part, you know, in your journey is figuring out what's needed most, at least in David Epstein's opinion, and my humble opinion, I agree, is people that know how to think and can take conceptual things to figure out problems. So in my career, fig- being with people, interacting with them, um, the amount of negotiations that I've had to do, and it's not just, I think I have probably 1,200 negotiations under my belt from my 15 years as an agent and then you know, starting year seven here in the NBA on this side. Just a negotiation is an interaction with a person or an entity so figuring out what other people need or want and how you can accomplish a deal or you know the process you learn when you don't get a deal done of what you've learned about that person and going forward how you can maintain that relationship Um, those parts whether it was interacting with a team whether it's a choir or a a sports team or your classmates or your family or your teachers all those people that were in my life played an important part of me being able to view the world as I view it today and being able to interact in it. And I'm thankful for having this opportunity here in Utah with the Millers and uh, being mentored by Dennis and Kevin O'Connor to be able to put a little bit of my input into the team as well. What has that transition been like um, as, as you and Dennis have, have changed you know, titles at least over, over the summer? Um, how collaborative does that remain? And, and you know, I guess, how, I guess what, what has that process been like? Yeah, the, cl- the collaboration aspect is you know, paramount here with the culture that Dennis has built. Um, that's regardless of title change or specific duties, that's always you know, here. It's, it's, it's a main function of what we do as a group and how we function as a group is the collaboration of it. I think for me, it's, it's more, much more day-to-day um, in terms of team operations. And uh, we've always been collaborative on trades and free agency acquisitions and draft acquisitions. So my days probably split, it's split up a little bit more differently now on, on a day-to-day basis with the team um, and internal operations. And then still continuing, you know, the negotiation aspect, you know, scouting in college, scouting in pros. But uh, this has allowed Dennis to um, be out more in terms of scouting instead of uh, necessarily being here day to day. But he's here day to day. He's here daily. But I guess I want to make it the distinction that 
you know, we have a 82 game schedule and, you know, someone being present here when we play all the time, so no matter what can happen, whether it's interfacing with the league office or coaching staff or training staff or injuries and communicating to upper management and the Millers, I've been able to take on more of that for him so that he can um, get to some of his core competencies, which is scouting players in addition to providing mentorship and strategic planning for all of us. You're minute by minute watching the games. What What is it like watching a game with Justin Zanuck? Are you Billy Bean in Moneyball? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not on the treadmill or like trying to avoid it. I I watch um, very intently. There are certain games where it can become emotional, you know, where you you get caught up in in the heat of a moment. But for for me, it's I watch to support. I watch to to have a pulse of the team and uh, also to be a sounding board for Dennis and Quinn and David Morway. So. You know, I, I can, I, I can, I think I'm pretty calm, but I can be prone to, you know, just like anybody being upset at a, a certain play or, you know, a call or how things go in, in the part of a game. But, you know, we have 82 and hopefully a lot more this year with the playoffs. So, you know, losing your mind over one, you got another one coming. It's one of the best things about the NBA is whether, you know, if you have a bad result or you're not happy with the way you play, you're going to play in another day or so. So you can get that right out. Can you give us a little insight into what this summer was like for this front office and maybe even some, I mean, because I, I don't imagine that a summer like this just happens, you know, I, oh, it's it's April and, and now we're going to get into it. I yeah. think, there, you know, there's some, some long-term planning here. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the planning that, you prepare yourself, you can't predict what's going to happen. You can't predict even w- what or who is going to be available in terms of opportunities. You can try to do your best, but to operate on that, what it is is to be prepared for a multitude of scenarios and then being um, prepared to make a quick decision. So the preparation of it, allow, you know, and that starts three years, two years, one year, uh, knowing our team, where we're trying to go, what our cap position is, what are our specific needs, and then evaluating all possibilities so that if one of those come up that we can attack it without sitting there like, well, I haven't thought about it, I don't know, that we're like, yes, we'd like to do this. You know, Obviously, it takes two teams to do a deal with the Mike Conley uh, trade, you know, took a while. Um, we had had discussions even during last season, as you guys know, and you know, finally aligned where with Memphis's um, change in planning in terms of maybe retooling and rebuilding and for us uh, getting an opportunity to add a veteran point guard. So that opportunity matriculated. We didn't have to sit there and think about uh, this because we'd already thought about it for a long time. Uh, same same application um, and approach goes for the draft or free agency as well. So um, it's nice to have some opportunities and be able to convert. Um, they weren't penultimate that, you know, there's going to be more opportunities or other things as a season. It's a season has kind of, it's a life of its own. So, you know, ups and downs and trying to figure out where we can, you know, what, what we can do to help support the coach and, and, uh, the players and trying to reach the next level. What are the selling points that you bring up when you're going into free agency or, or even making a, a trade for the jazz? So it's actually pretty easy, JP. Um, You've got unbelievable ownership with the Millers uh, that have 
you know, creating a trust where basically every profit from the from the team goes back into the team. You have an unbelievable fan base uh, that supports our guys night in and night out. Uh, you know, a front office that I think we are very careful about what we do, but aggressive at the same time to try to put the most competitive team out here that the city and the state deserve. We have a master teacher with with coach um, who players like playing for. You have the beauty and the weather of the Mountain West. Um, so players, you know, I've said this before, JP, that players talk, you know, throughout the season, like, hey, how's Utah? Hey, how's coach? Oh, this is, you know, so it, it kind of reinforces itself. You know, we're sitting here in, you know, one of the best facilities in the NBA um, with some of the best health performance people that keep players safe and, and healthy and also have a chance to improve. So if they don't know about it, they basically do know about it. But when we sit down with guys and be able to show specifically, you, could, you know, talk is talk. But when these guys get here and it's reinforced and they see it every day, it just it's special. So. You know, I know all the guys that are new here this year have been very excited about being here, and we're a player-centric program, and I think they feel that. Obviously, new Boyan was an excellent player, but what, what have you thought about what he's been able to bring to you guys so far and, and just maybe a little bit of the state of the team at this point? I think, you know, with Boyan, he's, he's, he's played well, but he's played to what we, you know, what we thought and what we hoped. I think he's acclimated pretty well and, and fairly quickly. Um, he has pride about him, um, whether that's taking pride in things on all aspects of the team. He's a great teammate, but pride on the defensive end, pride on being unselfish, uh, pride in competing, um, connecting with his teammates. So that's gone very, very well. I think with the rest of the state of the team right now, when you add so many new players, there's so many uh, fits and starts of guys trying to get to know each other. And all of our players have great intent um, because of their talent and because of their character, that they want to play well for each other. They want to, you know, one of the character crucibles of being obviously unselfish. I think that uh, you've seen that on the court, but you've also seen that off the court with guys trying to just get to know each other. And that takes a while. It just takes repetitions and play. And a coaching staff is very committed to figuring out the best way for us to play and the players being committed that way. I've kind of said it as like we're just trying to grind it out right now while we're figuring it out and so far you know we've had a couple games that we probably you know dropped that we could have won but I think those have been instructive for us in terms of how we need to play and uh, coach has done a great job with that and the players have as well as is learning from these experiences and, and growing as a team together. Donovan's clearly started hot what have you made of of his start to his year three? Uh, happy for him, um, happy for us, obviously. I think there's a couple points that you can look back to. Last summer, so not this past summer, but the summer before in uh, 18, you know, we finished the playoffs and he was hurt. You know, had the foot injury and he had to stay off that for a couple months. So he really didn't – offseason's a great time to get better. We've shown the ability, the team and our players have actually gotten better during the season, but the offseason's a big time for players to work on their games and – get stronger and 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 he just couldn't do that he was he wasn't healthy so we expected the previous season for him to have a little bit of a slow start as he had to get acclimated and then you saw the second half of last season where he really played well this summer he finished the season last season healthy so he was able to train he also had team usa to prepare for which he knew early that he'd have a chance to make the team and compete 
and then just going through that, that two months of experience and, and playing with great players and great coaches gives him another varied level of experience that he can take and apply to his team. And so I'm really happy that he's been able to, we've seen some conversion from that, the defensive play, the efficiency that he exhibited in Team USA this summer and his own developmental path has been great. And lastly, I wanted to ask you about Mike. Um, you know, he had that big game against the Clippers, but you, you said you thought this Philly game was the first time you, he really felt comfortable out there. Yeah. What, what were you seeing? And then, and then as a follow-up, what does having a guy like that in your locker room mean for, sure. for this franchise? So, you know, and I did say it today during the, the talk today that with Mike, you know, when you, when you do the same things, and he's had different coaches and players to play around, but he's been, been with the same organization for 12 years and uh, same house and the same places you go to eat and the same routine and and you know all of that was uprooted this summer and he's done a great job acclimating himself but we play you know every team plays differently and it's he's so unselfish and wanting to integrate his teammates as as a leader on the team i think he's done that um while at the same time trying to figure out his place so yeah last night you know while we're all still trying to get better and improve. I thought he looked much more comfortable um, out there. And, you know, the hesitancy of, of knowing what to do, where to be, and other guys to be is is getting less. And uh, so I thought that regardless of whether the ball goes in or not, he shot the ball fine. Um, that's not something we're ever concerned about with him. And, and just his journey of getting to know his teammates it was a nice step last night.